Good to see everybody this morning. If you're joining us on Zoom or YouTube, we're glad that you're here as well. I want to engage our minds a little bit as we get started this morning. And some of these dates are going to mean something to some of you. Think about where you were. I wasn't born yet, so I don't have to worry about that. If you were alive at this point, you know where you were because that was a memorable day. That was the day that JFK was shot. I remember where I was January 28, 1986. I was in a barbecue restaurant in, in Bryan, Texas. The Challenger space shuttle blew up in midair. More of you remember where you were September 11th, 2011, I'm guessing, 2001. <laughs> it changed our world, right? April 9, 2017 is probably not nearly so memorable to you. But I want to think of, for you to think about where you were then, what your stage in life was. And we say, oh, that was only six years ago. We didn't change much, right? Don't have to say much about that. But the point is, all of us have changed since that point. And I give that not as a disclaimer, but to get you to think about. I gave this lesson six years ago, almost to the day. It just kind of happened that way. And every single one of us is different and in a different stage of life than we were six years ago. Maybe you were a teenager or younger. Maybe you were courting someone six years ago. Maybe you were a newlywed. Maybe you were expecting your first baby. Or maybe you had a little baby. Or your family was young. Or you had a family that was growing up. Or maybe you became a grandparent. All those different things have affected all of us in different ways. And six years ago, not a single one of you was in the state of life you're in now. And what I talked about six years ago was parenting. And pretty much the outline is the same. But guess what? Every single one of us is going to look at it different because we're in a different spot. And hopefully, you won't be bored with the repeat. I didn't go back and listen to... There was no YouTube back then. That was pre-YouTube days. There was a, a SoundCloud, a, a podcast. I didn't go back and listen to it. The outline's going to be the same. I'm different, so there's a good chance that some of the examples are going to be different. I always make the the general disclaimer that I'm not picking, I don't know you, and so if I use examples, it's to get you to think. It's not because of I know any particular situation. Well, that doesn't work today because I know a bunch of you. But if I use an example, my point of examples is to get us to think. It's not to single out anybody or to single out myself. It's to get each of us to think about how does this apply to me. Because ultimately we know the power of the Bible is not in theoretical. It's not in winning an argument. It's not in being able to stand up and, and spout doctrine, although all those may be important. It's important where rubber meets the road. It's important in action. It's important in that these concepts that we're going to talk about this morning are part of our daily life. They're part of the way that we raise our kids. And so sometimes it's easy to think about it as all theoretical, 
And the reason I use examples is to keep it from being that. Parenting is not easy. If you think that, your, your kids aren't old enough yet. There's a lot of things involved in parenting. We're not going to talk about every single thing. Again, we're going to deal in concepts, but realize that all of us who have ever raised kids, and even those who haven't, realize that parenting isn't easy. Physically, it's not easy. easy. Mentally, sometimes it's not easy. There's a lot of demands put on people. Many times we avoid the topic. Because guess what? I, I'm in a vulnerable spot of putting myself in a no-win situation with my family. I've been threatened. Don't use them for examples anymore. I do that too much. <laughs> I told them to get thicker skin, but I don't know. <laughs> and you know why? Because y'all know how I raised my kids. I know how you raised your kids. And, and the point is, it's not about how I raised my kids or, or how anybody else raised their kids. I'm not trying to put myself in a spot either way up here or way down here. I want to bring out biblical principles. And then as mature parents or as maturing parents, use those concepts how you can to make your parenting stronger. We all know Jeremy prayed this morning, prayed for the parents that our kids would love God, they'd serve God all the days of their life. And we know that's what we want. As we talk about it today, I'm going to give you some definitions of parenting because it's kind of a broad topic. The goal, and then we're going to talk about concepts and maybe some practices. So I went to the dictionary. The process of taking care of children until they're old enough to take care of themselves. Well, that's pretty simple, but it didn't really describe what I wanted to do. This is the big thick dictionary, the Cambridge, the raising of children and all the responsibilities and activities in it. Well, that's kind of broad. That's almost too broad to be useful. So here are some things that I came up with as we think about what parenting involves. And again, it's just my list. It's not inclusiveness, all inclusive necessarily. Part of parenting is providing a stable, nurturing home environment, being positive role models, being active in our children's lives, providing moral and spiritual guidance, setting limits, giving consequences for behavior, good and bad, accepting responsibility for the total development of our child, guidance in making sound, healthy life decisions, open communication and mutual respect. And as we go through that list, all of those probably mean different things to people at different stages in raising their kid's life. You know, if you're concerned about diaper rash and changing diapers right now, open communication is probably the last thing on your mind. But if you're raising teenagers, or maybe you have adult children, you realize that all the things that you set in place young, that becomes maybe the, pr the premier thing or the primary thing that you think about in raising children my point is all of these things are part of raising kids and all of us have strengths and weaknesses but ultimately if we go to the bible as our guide then we're going to have the best chance of raising good children that follow god all the days of their lives and being able to enjoy them I think it's important to talk about the goal of parenting. The goal of parenting is to raise mature Christian adults. And you say, well, that, 
that just makes sense. That's very, <laughs> I think I'm the master of stating the obvious sometimes. And we all agree with that in our mind, but here's where I found myself in lots of, at lots of times. Our goal is not to raise perfect kids. And when we get caught up in the wrong goal, sometimes the activities and things that we do take us away from what the real goal should be, which is raising mature Christian adults. As Jeremy alluded to in his prayer, we want to keep the link to God unbroken. You know, many of us can trace our link to the church back several generations. I knew my great-grandmother. My kids or grandkids never knew her, but I can go back several generations, as can some of you. And I'm blessed because somebody thought it important enough to keep the church involved in our lives, to keep us taught that that link was unbroken. There are some of you that can't go back one generation. You're the first person in your family. We talk about first-generation college students. You may be the first-generation Christian in your family. The point is still the same. It's a lot easier when we teach our kids from a very young age the right way to live. Not that it can't be done when they get older, but it just makes it difficult. And so that's why the Bible spends so much time talking about training children and teaching them while they're young and teaching them to love God and teaching them to know God's Word because that link is extremely important. Here's what Joel said in Joel 1 verse 3. Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. Our job's never done. The minute somebody lays down on the job, and I'm not talking about stumbles in the day and taking a day off, but we've all seen families that were really, really, really strong. And it wasn't important, or it got overlooked for a period of time, and now it's very difficult to find the influence of that family, and we wonder what happened and so things happen, we're going to talk about that a little bit, that, that kids at one point become adults and do their own thing. But our job as parents is to make sure our kids grow up to be mature Christian adults. We want to keep the link to God unbroken. We want to make them know, let them know how important it is. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, And you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture or the training and admonition of the Lord. Probably child advocates would hate me for this, but in many ways, little children are like training small animals. <laughs> Not that they're animals, but we tend to do what we practice over and over and over and over again. And that's extremely true. Uh, I, we were gone skiing this past week, and I'll use that as an example. There were some three-year-old kids that were zipping around me and going like nobody's business up and down a ski slope. Those kids, when they get to be 30 and 40 and 50, they'll ski like they were walking because it's so ingrained in them. I didn't learn to ski till I was nearly 30 years old. Every time I get on skis, I'm thinking the disaster's about to happen. And a good day for me is not to get hurt while I ski. 
And training children, that's just an example physically. You know, you don't forget how to ride a bicycle. We've all heard that. What we learn very young and what's practiced over and over and over and over again becomes second nature to us. It becomes what we fall back to when things get stressful. And that, that goal, that premise is true with raising kids. If we teach them young, they're going to fall back to that. They're going to remember that. And parents, fathers, it's about training. It's about teaching them the right way to live. It's about gathering them back up to follow after God. And ultimately, I think all of us have this goal. I want my great, great, and you could keep putting greats after that. Some of you got several greats behind that right now. Grandchildren to go to heaven. There's not a person alive, for sure not in this room, that wouldn't want that for their own grandkids. And what I encourage each of you, whether you are 8 or 10 years old, you're a teenager, you're a young parent, keep going through the whole list. Find out what you can do today to make sure that happens. To give yourself the best odds for that happening. And we're going to talk about some concepts and principles that the Bible tells us need to be incorporated if we want that to happen. Concepts are just that. They're spiritual rules or spiritual guidelines that govern the way that we decide things. What I'm not going to do today is tell you when to put your kids to bed or how many vegetables to eat. Probably could get a debate going. There's people here that think we ought to eat a lot of vegetables. There's people here that think vegetables are poison. No names to be mentioned. And, and that's not what we're talking about today. Not where to go to school. But the concepts that we're going to talk about may influence and probably will influence all those things and a whole lot more. And so I encourage each of you, be engaged, think about yourself and your own situation, and use the concepts to train your children. There's a lot of people here that have raised kids. goes without saying, they weren't perfect parents, their children weren't perfect. On the other hand, there's a lot of parents that did great things, and their kids did great things. We've got a complete mix here, and, and the, the strength of a church... The strength of a congregation is drawing on that. Everybody doesn't have to learn things the hard way. <laughs> if you can learn it the easy, there's plenty of lessons to be learned the hard way. The more you can learn the easy way by relying on those with experience, the better off you'll be. What they can give you, more than what's the right bedtime or how many vegetables to eat or what's the, the latest diaper rash remedy, what they can give you is perspective. It's hard for all of us to see out of the bubble that we're in, especially when they're screaming babies or there's teenagers staying out past curfew or they're seeing people you don't want them to see. And you name all the, the wide range of things it could be. What people that have been there and done those types of things can do is give you perspective. Not the answer necessarily, but perspective and how to work through it. The key to all this is using the Bible to order our lives and our children's lives. And if we really want this to work, not just in parenting, but anything, we all have got to be able to humbly and graciously learn and teach. It's not about me popping off my opinion to somebody I think is doing a bad job raising their kids. 
it's not my job as a young parent to explain all the reasons why what I'm doing is right and you don't know what you're talking about. It's about us all working together in a humble way, in a gracious way, because we've all got the same goal, right? We know, it's been said many times, the sound of some of these crying children, sometimes it's worse and sometimes it's, it's better, is the sound of a bright future. We all believe that. But the way to make that come to fruition is to work together. And I know we all believe that. First, a good marriage is the foundation of good parenting. Ephesians 5 and 33 says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In raising kids, don't lose sight of your marriage. Parents have to be on the same page. And I'm not going into a lot of detail on, all, on any of these particular topics, but if we're not on the same page, if we, if we don't like each other, it's very difficult to raise kids. doesn't mean there won't be disagreements. doesn't mean that we're going to see things from, from the same exact point of view because we were probably raised differently as well. But we have to strengthen our marriage because I promise, particularly teenage girls, know how to play one against the other. Nothing against teenage girls. Not everybody does that. But everybody knows when we're not together. And it saddens me, especially as I got older, when I see people whose kids have raised and their parents have nothing in common anymore. And they're miserable. I've watched people in the church be miserable after their kids were raised. I've watched people in the world. And ultimately... We love our spouse, and we want to make sure that that doesn't suffer in the raising of kids, and it doesn't have to. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. If you're sitting next to your parent, look at them. If you're, go ahead, you can. If you're not sitting next to your parent... Maybe they've passed already. Think about it in your mind. Whether you're young or whether you're old, think about how much your parents have sacrificed for you. Think about your parents as someone who wants the very best thing for you. You can still keep looking at them. Some of you feel awkward. But in doing that, you build this bond that you realize that no matter, sometimes if you don't like it, that your parents are doing what's good for you. And parents, you remember why you're doing what you do. Kids, especially as you get older, know you, you've got a responsibility to honor your parents. Not as perfect people, but as people that have sacrificed to raise you. People that have sacrificed to teach you the right way to live. And kids, hold up your end of the deal. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. A heritage. Sometimes we might call it, I think about it as a legacy. I can't name the people I've been associated with over the years that they wanted to build a company or they wanted to create a saving so they could give money to their family, buy up land so that they could pass it on, that somehow that was going to be their legacy. 
What the Bible tells us is kids are our legacy. Kids are a heritage. They inherit from us what we pump into them. Yes, they're a blessing. But when we think about them as our heritage, will we put more effort into them than we do our job or into our accomplishments? Kids are our heritage. You won't necessarily parent like other people. Whether we liked our parenting the way we were parented or not, we all are going to parent kind of like we were parented. We may make every effort not to do it because we thought they were awful, but we all go by habits. And we all have got things to work on, but the point of that is you're not going to parent like your friend. Even the best Christian friend that you've got, you may not parent like them. And, and here's the caution that we're given in 2 Corinthians 10. And this isn't related to parenting. It's related about Christianity in general, but it applies. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, aren't wise. When we look at other people and the way they raise their kids or the way their kids act, and we go, oh, my kids are so much better than theirs. <laughs> I must be doing a good job. That's what he means when he says you're not wise. Or flip it around. When we say, oh, their kids are doing these amazing things, I must be a terrible parent because my kids aren't doing those things. Again, comparing ourselves to each other in that way is not wise. Our real comparison is to biblical principles. And in using people's strengths and weaknesses to help make our family stronger, not to compare ourselves to become a competition. I'm, I'm probably, at least as a, as a young man, I was probably as competitive as anybody. <laughs> I probably tempered that over the years. There's something about having a goal and achieving it that makes me think I've done something. And there's nothing wrong with goals and achieving goals, but we have to be careful that we don't become in competition about a lot of things but particularly about raising our kids. Now, that being said, we don't live in a bubble, and you don't raise your kids in a bubble. And to not pay attention to what the norms are around us and modify it, that's a mistake as well. We as parents see the world a lot more objectively than our kids do. <laughs> we can't become disillusioned we can't become so enamored with our own kids or name any of all the things that affect us that we don't see the world objectively as much as we can and if our kids are the problem we need to work on them if our parenting's the problem we need to work on it. if we're doing a good job we need to keep doing that and try to influence other people but it's not a competition Children are a blank canvas. Probably no more true than, than a small child who, as soon as they learn to talk, tries to say everything that you do. Didn't have an idea in the world what it means, but they try to say and do what you do. It's born out of humility is what I think it is. A kid, a small child, doesn't know anything but reliance on their parents. 
Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They'll accept and imitate what we say and do. Let's say and do the right thing so they imitate those things. We all know and we all get tired and we all say and do the wrong things. We get impatient with our kids, all that stuff. But ultimately, if we remember that they're a blank slate, if they're a canvas that has no painting, we watched, I watched it on my wife's behalf, Bob Ross. If y'all know the guy that paints the, the green trees and flowers and rivers off PBS back when we were much younger, there's a whole channel that's just him over and over and over again. And it's amazing. I can't paint to save my life. I can't even paint a white door very well. But to watch him take a blank canvas and all of a sudden he goes and gets this little dab of yellow and this little dab of green and pretty soon in 25 minutes you have a piece of art that comes to life. And our kids are blank slates. We pump into them what's going to define their life. Let's pump in the right things. Sometimes I wondered when my kids were age three, five, and seven, or five, seven, and nine, if they would ever grow up. Well, they will. As all those of us that are older know, almost in the blink of an eye, that all happens. The Bible says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And it's, and it's talking you know, spiritually in 1 Corinthians. But know that your kids are going to grow up. Sometimes we want to push them to grow up faster. Sometimes we want to keep them kids longer. Ultimately, they're going to grow up. Changing diapers, I think my dad told me this years and years ago, changing diapers may be the simplest parenting that you ever do. I still remember buying the last package of diapers and throwing them away. It seemed like a great... Uh, a great milestone to hit. Saved a ton of money. <laughs> but you know what? In the scheme of life, that's pretty simple. Pretty simple. You're going to have some times that, as this quote from somebody on where I heard it, I never heard or I never knew until I had teenagers why the mothers in some species eat their young. We've all heard some version of that, right? And... I don't know if my mother ever wanted to eat me, wish she would have eaten me when I was little. Probably, because I remember doing some things that weren't very nice and weren't very respectful. But when we teach our kids the right way to act and we model the right behavior, guess what? They're going to grow through those things. They're going to grow through diaper rash, and they're going to grow through asking what's this and what's that and asking every single question in the book. And they're going to go through sometimes as young teens or teens where you think, I'm just worn out. But when we lay the right foundation, they grow up. And some of these things affect parents, some parents more than other parents. But know ahead of time, your kids are going to embarrass you. <laughs> the key is, how am I going to respond and react when they embarrass me? You know, the Proverbs of Solomon says this, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. And does it affect mothers more than fathers? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Be worried about the right things. Sometimes when we're embarrassed, we respond and do all sorts of crazy things because we're embarrassed, not because we're trying to train our children. 
or we're trying to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We talked about crying children. And, and, and here's the balance of that. What embarrassment says to me is I'm worried more about what other people think than what the right thing is. That's what embarrassment does to us. It makes us overreact or underreact sometimes. We need to be concerned about what other people think. But we've got to be objective enough to see what's really going on. Not base all of our decisions on what other people think, but base them on biblical principle. So embarrassment's a bad way to parent, I guess, is what I'm trying to get the point across. But if we don't parent, we will be embarrassed. We mentioned this. Children act like they're trained to act. And kids do crazy things. Kids get sleepy and kids get sick. And there's all the exceptions to the rule. And I'll grant all those exceptions. But ultimately, kids act like they're trained to act. And sometimes it takes more practice than other, with other kids. Proverbs 22 and 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't, won't depart from it. We talked about not forgetting how to ride a bicycle and all those things, and all that is true. This isn't a statement that says, if I do everything as a perfect parent, my kids are going to grow up to be perfect. But what it does is it teaches the principle and the concept that what we practice over and over and over with our kids, that's what they're going to go back to. That's what they're always going to fall back on. And so here are some of the things that that I'm talking about, more general concept things, priorities. You know, we practice our priorities without saying a word over and over and over and over every single day. Guess what? Without a single word spoken, our kids are going to pick up our priorities, and that's going to be theirs. Anger. You don't have to teach them how to be angry. (laughs) But you also don't have to teach a work ethic because they see it over and over and over. And if they're trained... To do a good job, whether that's picking up their toys when they're a little bitty or not quitting jobs when they get tired or mad at the boss when they're 17, all those things go together to train a child. It's not a one-time shot. It's not that, oh, I messed up once, it's all over. What we practice over and over and over with regard to respect or spending habits or that the rules are different for them because they're my kid, all these different things When we practice that over and over and over again, that just becomes what's right to them. And so we want to train and think about what the long game is of how we're training our kids. Are we teaching them to be judgmental of other people and be critical and complainers? Or are we teaching them to be positive about the church and to love God and to make that part of their daily habit of going to church? And, and ultimately, here's, here's how you figure out if I'm training somebody right. I'm going to pick one that's easy. Come into church. If I can hold up on one hand the number of times I don't come to church, and it's way bigger than the times I do come to church, what you're training them to do is not come to church. If I complain about the lesson this many times and I compliment the lesson this many times I'm training them to be critical and all those things happened almost as part of our daily way we interact so what I encourage you is think about it you know your family you know what's going on in your mind 
if you can look back six years, see if between back in the day when I had brown hair till now, if you've achieved or you're making progress towards the goals that you want. That's the way that we see if we're training our kids. Consistency, not an occasional exception, defines training. The world's not going to come to an end when one bad thing happens. If that's the case, none of us have raised kids, right? Because bad things are going to happen. I'm going to make mistakes. But what I do consistently is going to define if I've trained my kids like the Bible asks us to. Try to understand your kids. Colossians 3 and 21, Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Every single one of us knows our spouses and our kids and our parents' buttons to push. I don't know how, how you learn that at such an early age, but we all learn it. And we know exactly how to push their button to get a reaction out of people. The Bible cautions us as fathers and as parents in general, know your kids and know how to deal with them. Not every child's the same. We've got to know the difference. We don't want to discourage them. We want to use their talents. We're not trying to make clones of us or live vicariously through our kids. We're wanting to develop them into mature Christian adults. You know, and here's how we couch that sometimes and avoid or maybe misuse the idea that, that people are different. I've heard it said lots of times that boys will be boys. Man, if you've raised a boy, you'll know that boys can be boys. But we have to be careful not to excuse bad behavior because they're a boy. I've said this myself. Oh, she's just so sweet. She doesn't need a spanking. And I had a daughter that was pretty sweet most of the time, but guess what? Not all the time. And so they're going to be different and we need to respond to them differently, but not at the expense of teaching and admonishing and discipline. We're teaching our kids every minute of every day. Deuteronomy 6 says, And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. We all know that he's not literally talking about he had the book of the law open reading it 24 hours a day to his kids and making them sit there and beating it into them. But what he is saying, if the Bible and Christian values and using the Bible to order our lives is not built into every decision and all the actions that we make from the time we get up to the time we go to bed, they're going to learn. He's talking about training. What we practice over and over with our kids is what they're going to retain, and that's what he's doing. He's training them. You know, it's natural, and good parents worry about their children's future. Job 1 and 5, here's what it said about him. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he'd rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, Thus Job did regularly. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I bet there's a bunch of people that have kids that are grown and maybe grandkids that are grown and maybe great-grandkids that are getting grown that guess what they do? They pray for their kids. And they pray for their grandkids and their great-grandkids. 
good parents worry about their kids. And if you don't worry about your kids, you need to. We're going to spend some time talking about discipline. And I'm going to try and cruise through this a little bit faster than maybe I've gone. The word discipline, I think, gets a bad connotation in our minds. Or maybe we get a singular view of what it means. Discipline, the word musar, and I, that may not be the right way to pronounce it in Hebrew, is, is in, in the old King James Bible 50 times. 30 times it's, it's instruction. Discipline has the same root as the word disciple. We know the word disciple. It means a learner. And here's the thing about discipline. It includes punishment, but it's not solely or even mostly punishment. It's teaching. And sometimes that needs positive reinforcement, and sometimes that needs negative reinforcement. That being said, I guess Dr. Spock, that was the book that was the one that was going to ruin child rearing when I was born, I think, that people read and said that was going to be the end of decent kids. And now there's been four or five other generations of books that maybe that's going to be the end of, decent, of raising decent kids. I think it's always been common to not discipline your kids because that was a big knock on Dr. Spock that he said, oh, don't spank your kids. It must have been common back when Solomon was raising kids because there's a lot of warnings about not punishing your kids. Here's some of them. It's your job to discipline your child. I mean in the big, big broad sense. Teach them and correct them. Proverbs 13, 24, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who disciplines him, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. The ESV says, He who loves him is diligent to discipline him. The concept that's trying to be taught is, Oh, boys will be boys. I guess that's just what they do. If that's our reaction, oh, well, my little girl's not going to like me if I discipline her, which means teaching and sometimes punishment, as it talks about. If that's our attitude, that somehow that's too hard for us to do because we can't mentally find a place to put it, what Solomon says is, you're not saying, I love my kid, I hate my kid, is what you're really saying. And, and it's not advocating for beating our kids. We know that. Training takes all of it you got to show them what to do and practice what to do and correct when they don't do it. Proverbs 19 and 18, don't wait to discipline. Chasing your son, which is really the word that means discipline more, means punish more than the word discipline does. Chasing your son while there's hope and don't set your heart on his destruction. Correction. And setting things right has to start at an early age. Probably if you ask my kids, it's amazing that the first child survived because they probably got beat for every little last thing. And probably most of us could say that. And what the oldest one would say is, well, the younger, younger ones, they just got spoiled and got whatever they want. But, but ultimately what we've got to do is correct our kids when they're little. If they can do whatever they want or they learn that I can cry a little crocodile tear and get my way. <laughs> Wasn't me. <laughs> they learn that and they practice that and pretty soon it's too late to go back on that. It's hard. So do it when they're young. Children can't raise themselves. 
Proverbs 22 and 15, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. It's been true in every culture since the beginning of time that kids can't raise themselves. <laughs> There's a reason why parents are held responsible by the law and a lot of other things. Now, I think it's a small but very vocal portion of the population is advocating for kids raising themselves <laughs> and doing all sorts of crazy things. We know that's not true. But apathy or hands-off or however sometimes we want to describe it is not a very good way to parent. What you're saying is a kid can raise himself. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. We've got to be actively involved. Because pain in the short run saves what I call real pain in the long run. Don't withhold correction from a child. If you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You will beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. And again, the Bible's not literally talking about child abuse. I think we all understand that. But too many times I've seen parents, and, you know, I was in the school system with 12-year-olds, between four and 500 of them for five years back when I was a principal. Others have been in the school system. There's a, there's a, a certain mentality that starts at a very young age, if we're not careful, that, oh, my poor little child, I can't do anything. I don't know what to do with them. That's not the way to raise kids. We've got to be the parent. <laughs> we've got to take charge, and we've got to do it God's way. I don't think we like to think about it sometimes, but our children are going to deal with our baggage <laughs> because our baggage affects the way that we think and the way that we react. Exodus 34 and 7 says it this way, Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. The Bible's not teaching that I'm, I'm responsible for my great-grandparents' sins. What the Bible is doing is encouraging me as someone who has kids and is going to have grandkids and possibly great-grandkids, that it's incumbent, it's necessary for me to deal with my baggage and not pass it on because the things that have burdened my life that's going to carry on to multiple generations. Look at the drug culture back in the 60s, those that were doing drugs and what happened to derail their families, and now what's happened to the next generation, and by the third or fourth generation, it's a terrible mess. We've got to deal with our baggage so we don't pass it on to our kids. But ultimately, our kid's going to answer for, himself, for himself. The soul that sins will die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And again, I, I didn't know exactly where to put this example, but I've, I've heard this said. When there's teenagers doing things they shouldn't have been doing, and parents got involved, and basically the answer was, thank you, but mind your own business. And it goes back to being gracious and humble, the more that we can do that, not in an I got you sort of way, the more we can help our kids become mature Christian adults. Because guess what? No matter how cute they are, I'm not one that says every baby is cute, but some of the ones I've held are pretty cute. <laughs> we get in our mind that's how they are, but ultimately the sobering thought of it all is that each and every one of them is going to answer for their own sins. And how you raise them 
And the help that you use is going to play into that. Partiality is going to kill your family. It did Joseph's family. Israel loved Joseph more than all of his brothers. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him, couldn't speak peaceably to him. Be careful. Your child has a reputation. Even as a kid this big, everybody knows that they're the one that's going to come in and be the little terror. Be a parent and see that and help guide your children and teach them. Even a child is known by his deeds. Whether he does, what he does is pure and right. The best time to teach the Bible to your kids is yesterday. In 2 Timothy 3, And that from a childhood you learned the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Teach your kids the Bible. If you haven't done it yet, the second best time is today. Start teaching your kids the Bible. Church kids are the best choice for friends. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Bad company ruins good morals. But I've learned this over time. That's not the only choice for friends. Parents, you've got to know who your kids' friends are. You've got to be involved with them. You've got to know what their, their families think and how their families act. Maybe I was different. Some of the meanest kids I knew were church kids. And I'm not kidding. Parents, you've got to trust your kids and you've got to know your kids. Now, most of them grew out of it. I'm not sure all of them did. But you've got to know your kids and trust your kids and listen to your kids and ask your kids what their friends are doing. But in the end, what better place to choose your friends from than any old common place? This is the place to go. But don't think that just keeping around church kids gives you a license to close your mind and not be a parent, I guess is what I'm saying on that. Grandparents, you've got a role. Exodus 10, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things that I've done in Egypt. You can tell stories to your kids that your kids, to your grandkids that your kids can't. They had lived through some of the mighty things in Egypt and their kids hadn't. Who better to relate than firsthand stories of how God has worked in their lives? And finally, good people can have bad children. We read that. Children are going to answer for themselves. 1 Samuel 8 and 3. Who more than Samuel was a good servant of God, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Learn from the older people. When it says admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children in, in Titus, here's what admonish means if you look at the broad term. Restore one to their senses. I'm not saying that young mothers are crazy. <laughs> That's just the first definition. We get so wrapped up in what we're doing that we can't see outside of that. How to moderate, control, curb, disciple, to hold to one's duty, to admonish, to exhort earnestly. It goes back to being humbly and graciously able to teach and learn. Develop relationships that allow us to do that. I hope you found these concepts good. I hope it's reminded you, as if you've got older kids, things I need to keep doing or things I need to change. If you've got young kids, the very same thing. I believe more now than any time that our children's future is bright. And if somebody's telling you the world that we live in, I wish I wouldn't even have kids, don't listen to them. You've got kids for a reason. Their future is bright, and you're going to help make it bright. But it's going to take effort. 
Use the tools at your disposable. The future of the church depends on you. And ultimately, remember, God has given us the victory if we'll follow his ways. Just like he gave the Israelites way back in the day when they were afraid. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Use the tools that God has given us. Let's raise our children to be good, mature adults. And if so, the future will be bright. Haven't spoken on the first principles this morning, but if you need the assistance of the church through baptism, or if you would like the prayers of the church in some manner, please come while we stand and sing.